For most young people, you really don't have any place to get a solid personal financial understanding or really like learn this stuff. There's no, there's no place that you learn it unless you have parents that know this stuff. I am focused on kind of contributing to that, that tide of, of just providing solid financial information to people. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Apple Crider is a welcome sign that our upcoming generation are among some of the most informed. In the online age, Apple has learned how to take command of his future, using the tools at all of our disposal. Even if you don't have a business yet, and are just passing through, there's some actionable information here that anyone with a vested interest in their own money can put into practice. Apple Crider, it's good to have you here. Thank you for being on Ecomonics. How's it going? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, haven't had any power surges in the last little while. I, I'm a very transparent guy, and I revealed only in a previous episode that we had to like start it over. And so my anxiety is slowly starting to dissipate. Because uh, in those episodes where we had those surges, every time they would pause to think, I'd be like, oh my God, I freaking lost them again. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good. Uh, All right. Glad to have you here. I, I was also glad to do some research on you. You, as, as I was learning about you in order to be prepared for this interview, you opened up my eyes and I'm looking forward to opening up the eyes of our uh, audience today. Um, but first question, uh, warm me up to our audience and warm the audience up to you is who you are and what you do. Yeah, great question. So Thanks. my name's Apple. I am 21 years old and essentially I'm a pretty big personal finance nerd. I've been into personal finance, investing, credit cards, all that good stuff ever since a very young age. And so I've just kind of been continuing to pursue that in kind of different forms throughout the last couple of years. So graduated from college with a personal finance degree, sat for the certified financial planner exam, which is kind of like the premier exam for people that, that help people with money. So did that a couple months ago. And now I'm really focused on investing in my uh, brand online, building my YouTube channel and my podcast up. And then eventually turning that into a wealth management firm for specifically online entrepreneurs, because that's who I love talking to and helping them with money is what I love. So mm -hmm. that is the vision. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to like, we're going to, we're going to talk about some, some age uh, disparity going on here. Uh, for one, there is a, there is a 10 year gap between you and me and I'm, and I'm, and I'm wigging out because I, I'm just entering into my thirties and I don't really know how to like relate them to my twenties, but it's inspiring to uh, see how well, you've put your foundation together at this point. Um, so the first part of this that I want to talk about, this is the overarching theme, is the disconnect between finance and the young. Uh, like I said, I'm 31 years old now, and I have an overall grasp of my finances. I've got my, um, you know, I've got my savings, got uh, put money away, put it in here or there. Uh, so I'm doing I. I had a bank account when I was a kid. I won it in a game of bingo. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's cool. We had we had bingos. I wanted the transformer. I got a freaking big. I got a savings account. Um, I did not understand how a savings account worked until I was twenty five years old. Until then, I thought the whole point of a savings account was to just put your money in a vault so you don't get robbed. Like <laughs> versus putting it under the bed. I didn't know what interest was. Um, I didn't know about the the relation between savings and taxes and. Uh, and, and retirement themes. And man, do I wish I knew this stuff sooner. So what's being done by you and, you know, in your circles uh, to improve financial knowledge for coming generations? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, those are all very important points that you brought up. And I think that uh, for, for most people, for most young people, you really don't have any place to get a solid personal financial understanding or really like learn this stuff. There's no, there's no place that you learn it unless you have parents that know this stuff. But, but most people, the habits they're getting from their parents aren't all that great if they're getting any. Most parents just don't even want to talk about this stuff. It's kind of taboo. So most people come in with, with absolutely nothing and then they get thrown into either college or the real world and they're like, I have no idea what to do. Like I'm getting this money now. I don't know what to do with it. How do I save it? How do I prepare for the future? And so there, there was really not a lot going on in, in the space of educating people other than these, these salespeople, essentially, that were calling themselves financial advisors trying to sell you life insurance. So like, uh, I, I really 
Um, and, and now there's this, this community of people online, whether it's bloggers, YouTubers, podcasters that are kind of filling in this gap and, and giving young people this financial um, basis to go off of. And, and kind of prepare people to to make wise financial decisions. So I am focused on kind of contributing to that that tide of of just providing solid financial information to people that that they're not going to learn in school. They're not going to learn from their parents unless they're in the upper echelons of society anyway. So my focus is on providing that to people who actively seek it. Because one thing about learning stuff online is like you have to actively seek this stuff out, which is which is still a pretty big con in in my view like there is no there's no way for for just society as a whole to learn this stuff without actively seeking it out so for now i'm I'm only providing content to people that choose to seek it out but over time hopefully uh, i'm able to make a a bigger difference and kind of impact people even the ones that aren't actively thinking about this stuff Mm -hmm. there's there's a couple of points that i want to raise too and one of them is about the and again this is going to come back to a disconnect between people in, in in these age brackets and and finances and i remember being, uh, what was I, 23, 24, when there was the Occupy Wall Street uh, movement. And I remember, pay, you know, pay, paid a visit to it. Um, there was an open mic there. That was a mistake. And I think it's not just about not really understanding how it works, but I think there's also a lot of reluctance and a lot of resentment towards the financial system because I think a lot of uh, people are, are in this belief that, you know, the system is out to get us or it's not, it's not on our side. And, I, you know, at, at your point, how did you... Uh, how did you reconcile with that? How did you manage to get past that? Or is there is there any truth or any credence to it? Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that. And I, I mean, you really have to think about like all of these these big companies, these banks. They're they're driven by financials. Like their shareholders want to see returns, and their CEOs want to get paid, and they want their stock options to go up in value. So like their incentive is to make more money. And so you you kind of have to think about that. I, in any interaction that you're going into with any company, with any individual, you have to think about where their incentives are at. So when you're going into these relationships with banks, like you have to realize like their business model is to turn you into dollar signs. So you have to, you have to keep that stuff in mind. But at the same time, there, there, there's this balance between you have to make smart financial decisions for yourself. And then you have to balance your, your social conscience of like, am I just feeding this machine? That's just like tearing society apart. So like, it's tough. And like, there's no, I mean, there's no right answer, you know, like it really comes down to each individual, like uh, what kind of things are you willing to support? But I, I think realizing that we do get to like vote with our dollars per se, and like really decide like, okay, I'm putting my money with this institution, I might get a lower return on that money. But at the same time, it's it's for a cause that I support. So as, as investors, as individuals, we have to think about these and make these decisions. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's a balance between the economics of it and just your, your conscience and your, like your, your, like how important these, these issues are to you. Mm-hmm. And I've touched on this theme before about, you know, greed and ethics and trying to uh, be a compassionate hero in, in dark times. And it's not just money. Uh, it really happens all over. It's the idea of, buying an iPhone, knowing the manufacturing that goes into it. It's no secret. Everybody knows it yeah. because, and, and plenty of people buy it. I mean, I don't have an iPhone. I have a Samsung, but I don't think the Samsung manufacturing is that far off. Um, eating meat. We know, we know what happens when, uh, when animals go through this. Even and, and this is coming from somebody who, who I've done background acting in the past, and uh, I don't want to throw any particular studio under the bus, but sometimes background actors or actor actors, they get put through the, the ringer in order to produce content. And so there is a lot of suffering in the world. And so getting over that is something that you have to do, because what I think happens is people and, and youngsters, especially, you know, we're, we have we got a lot of cynicism. Uh, I know I remember how cynical I was when I was 13, 17 and so on, is we have to be careful not to use that as an excuse not to take action and not to still try to contribute to the net good in any way. Because if we don't do anything, then, yes, the system does get worse. But if we can create a net good, then, yeah, we can actually do something because in, even in a cosmic sense, even in a positive negative sense, there is negative energy in the world. And we have to harness that in order to wash that over with more positivity. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think just like having like having the information is, is in my opinion, always going to make people better off. Like, like it's never going to make you worse off to know more about the situation, I think. And so if, if I can provide this information to people and they can choose to do what they want with it, like I'm not trying to tell people how to live their lives, but at the same time, it's like, if you understand how this system works and kind of the options you have available to you, then you can make an educated decision. Whereas if you don't have this information, you're just kind of going in blind. You don't really know, like, is this a good decision? Is this a bad decision? What is this influencing? So that's, that's kind of where I'm aiming to, to kind of fit in. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things that you touched on uh, earlier on is that for now, a lot of this is 
people are seeking you out and mm-hmm. you don't you don't really get in the opportunity to uh, reach out to them. Do you have any plans, any blueprints as to how you want to maybe get to uh, make your way into the Twitch crowd or anything that you want to do with your brand to try to make your way into that? Because you do have a lot of advantages. I think you do have a lot of that 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 youth appeal and I'd like to see you pull it off. Yeah, well, I mean, I've I've thought about getting more involved with TikTok because that's where a lot of a lot of young people are that and there are some like financial influencers in the TikTok space which I that are doing really really well for themselves. So, I think there's a lot of potential there to reach a whole new audience of people that wouldn't ordinarily go on YouTube and type in like how do I improve my credit score, you know, because that's like the crowd that I'm catering to right now is those types of people. But on TikTok, you're just kind of scrolling through your feed and like, oh, maybe you get a, a video about how to set up a savings account. And you're like, oh, this is actually kind of something I've been thinking about. So that's that's probably the next move for me uh, to, to start getting in front of the, a different crowd of people. I, I don't know much about uh, like Twitch or live streaming and whatnot. So I think TikTok is probably the next logical next logical step. That makes sense. I mean, one idea that just popped into my head and I consider it a pitch that you're free to throw in the trash, but (laughs) I think always starting with the results is probably the best way to appeal to somebody. So do you, do you want to retire at this age? Do you want to live this lifestyle? Do you want to take care of yourself in the future? I think if you if you start with the results in the same way, some stories, they start with like the climactic moment and then free freeze frame. I bet you're wondering how we got to this point. And then, and then it goes back to the beginning and then, you know, okay, well, I know where this is going, but now I'm invested in the journey. Yeah, no, I I totally agree, and I think I think a lot of times like that gets played too far in the like the the personal finance and entrepreneurship space because there's a lot of people trying to sell pipe dreams out there, and I think that's I think that's where a lot of people get a sour taste in their mouth that they don't have a lot of experience or exposure to the whole personal finance space, and then they get some of these like ads thrown at them on social media. They click through, they end up spending a couple hundred bucks on this thing that turns out to be a complete scam, and so like. That that kind of stuff really puts a sour taste in my mouth. So I think there's a lot of that going on, and so it's 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 always a balancing act to to try to stay away from that, but still get people's attention. Yeah, well, you should you should. I I have I have my my personal YouTube account, and then I have a YouTube account for all of the different um, uh, e-commerce uh, people that I've uh, researched. You should see my algorithm whenever <laughs> I go to add it. So people are getting out of their Ferraris left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah. All right, so. I, I do want to know a little bit about uh, about your background because I, I, I just want to know like what drew you into financial study in the first place. You know, how did you know early on how financials would impact your life? Like that, where was that kernel of curiosity? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I'm I'm not exactly sure. Like I've I've been thinking about this a lot, and for me, I mean, I know it started when I was probably about eight years old. I would I would be very conscious of how my parents interacted with money both in how they they used it, but then also how they talked about it and how they just communicated around money. So uh, whether whether my mom and I were at the store and she would remark that something was was cheap or expensive or not worth it. And like these things really stuck with me and really got me thinking like, well, well, how does money play a role in my life? And like, how how do I control it? How does it control me? And like the, these questions kind of just started turning the ball. And then like with my peers, once, once we started making some spending money, like how my peers would interact with money and how I would interact with money and just like... those things just kind of really, really, really captivated me. And then at at about 12 years old, I got my first job. My uncle owns a campground. And so I would work there in the summers, basically just sit behind the cash register and stuff. And, And so that really, once I had like an income stream and I was making money, like that started a whole nother train of thought. So all of that kind of conspired to me getting to college and deciding like, I want to study this and I want to really learn about how to help people with money stuff. Because like, it was clear to me very early on that like money plays a very integral part of our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. Like some people will, will very strongly deny the fact that money plays any kind of role in their life. But, but in reality, like whether we like to admit it or not, like there is a role that money is going to play in our lives. And and if, if we have more knowledge about how to effectively use money and how to make it work for us rather than us working for it, like, I think that's a good thing in the world as, as a net, as a whole. So I realized that. And then from there, uh, went to school, started studying finance and um, started my YouTube channel as well, where I would just like make videos about the stuff that I was doing. So like whenever I got a new credit card, I would make a video about it. When I made a new investment, I would make a video about it and just kind of to share with people like, yo, this is what I'm doing. Um, Feel free to like do something similar if you want to, or if you think this is a terrible idea, let me know. And so it was just a way for me to kind of have a creative outlet, but at the same time, just talk about stuff that I really cared about and share this information with other young people that weren't necessarily getting it elsewhere. So 
that's, I mean, that's kind of where it started. It was really just in my tendency to observe, which I, I really have a very strong tendency to, to observe things and people and how uh, the, the world works around me. So it all really stemmed from that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hear, hearing your story, it just reminded me of like, what are some of the imprints that money had on me when I, when I was a kid? And one of the ones that stuck out to me is, um, you know, I was a big fan of a uh, toy story growing up and uh, the Toy Story PC game came out and I wanted, and I had money from like my communion or something. And I remember this was the first time I understood what taxes were, but I understood it in a very rudimentary sense where the game was like, I don't know, 50 bucks. Uh, and I had 70 bucks on me. And so I buy it and I give him the 50 and he says, oh no, no, it's not enough. You have to give, you have to give the other money. Wait, wait a minute, I have to give more money? <laughs> and then uh, and then the other part that imprinted on me too, and I don't remember this, any specific, I don't remember the exact specific moment this happened, but I think every kid at some point asks, you know, why, why can't we just, you know, make the money ourselves? And, you know, and the, and the parent always says, well, you know, you can't just print money like that. That's not how it works. And now as, uh, uh, as much more wizened than I am, that is exactly how it works. Now that we've <laughs> moved on to fiat currency, okay, where you're, that is all we do is printing money. Have you seen the deficit? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, I mean, once that's... upon a time, we had the gold standard. We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> no, no, you're not allowed to print money, but somebody is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have a lot of uh, drop shipping uh, experts, and 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 they teach their, uh, their their peoples how to do it, and they get to see the results pretty right away. Or like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, in three months, uh, I, I was able to pull this off, and happy times were made. Um, but I'm wondering about what kind of feedback you've managed to get so far, because these are the returns that you're not really going to be able to see for for quite a while. Yeah. So in terms, of, I mean, there's there's a lot of different areas that I talk about, um, including like credit cards and saving money and investing money and entrepreneurship and all that stuff. And like with with investing in the stock market, like yes, that's that's a, a relatively long term endeavor. You know, like the the type of investing that I do is not like it's not day trading. You're not like moving in and out of stuff and making a billion dollars every day you know it's like it's like long-term stuff so like with with the investing side of things like yes like the returns from that are are going to be like it's going to make a huge difference on people's life but but it's going to take a long time you know like if you start when you're 20 by the time you're you're 50 like it's going to be crazy how much of a difference just just starting off at 20 will make for you uh, but obviously, like <laughs> the people who are consuming my content haven't turned fifty yet, and, mm-hmm. and and so like that has yet to play out. But in in other respects, like with credit cards, I mean that's the the kind of the time span on that is a lot shorter. So like you can get some crazy results mm-hmm. with credit cards a lot shorter. So people people that I've referred credit cards to have gone on trips and like not really so much right now, but like <laughs> before the whole world shut down, being able to see people like I, I would help them out with credit cards and like. Like even just my parents, for example, like my parents have signed up for like so many credit cards off of my recommendations and they're, they're getting free travel left, right and center, you know? So it's like, it's, it, it's, there are cool results that you can see. And like really, really with credit cards is where a lot of the, a lot of the results have come from that I've, that I've heard about at least. But um, yeah, it's with, with the investing, it's definitely a lot longer of a time horizon. That's a good, uh, uh, that's a good point though, because you can see short uh, returns on, on a credit card, which is. Is, is an investment in of itself, and this was um, this was the next question that I had chambered for you. Like um, one of my friends, he's a major stickler, and he loves getting like accumulating different credit cards. And he <laughs> every every time he has a purchase, it's like it's like a game of poker where he'll, he'll he can pull out like five <laughs> different cards and figure out which which play he wants to make. Um, so th- so this question is is for my boy Josh. Is um, tell us about the value you have been able to extract from credit cards, and you've mentioned it so far. So you already kind of like semi answered the question, but I'd love to hear more about this. Yeah, no, I I love talking about this stuff, so I'll I'll talk all day long. But I mean, for me, credit cards, there's like there's the short term benefits and there's the long term benefits. And the long term benefits, in, in my view, are like way 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 higher than than the short term benefits. But the short term benefits are a lot more like flashy and cool and fun. So we'll start with the short term. So short term, it's it's free travel. So I've accumulated somewhere between five and ten thousand dollars worth of free travel from credit cards in the last like two years, which is like kind of bananas, you know, like to just be able to, to pick up and like go wherever I want. Like I went to Southeast Asia for like two, three months at the beginning of 2020. And that was off free travel. I spent like $20 on my plane ticket maybe. Um, and the rest was all points. And then I didn't really spend much money while I was there because I just had points to, to spend on everything. So like, it's crazy when you start accumulating these credit card points and, and it, it's dangerous too. So I, I, <laughs> I like to kind of preface anytime I talk about credit cards by just like 
letting people know like it's really easy to get messed up with credit cards like the average american carries six grand in credit card debt at like a 20 percent interest rate that's like hundreds of dollars a year that's going straight to the bank uh just for the privilege of buying your iphone early you know so like if, if you're using credit cards in that respect, I would I would firmly advise you to um, go check out Dave Ramsey. He'll tell you all about why credit cards are evil and why you should cut them up. So um, if, if that's the camp you're in, I wouldn't mess with credit cards. But if you are in a place where you have money to meet your basic everyday expenses and you are looking for a way to start gaining some free travel from the money that you're already spending, that's where I think credit cards can come into play. And I think you have to be very responsible with these things because if you carry a balance on them, if you don't pay them off in full every single month, that's when the banks win, you know, but if you pay them off in full every single month, that's when you can win because that's when you can start accumulating these, these points and these miles and travel places for free. So that's the short-term side of things. It's like you get the cards, you put your normal spending on them, you pay them off and you accumulate thousands of dollars in free travel. So that's the short-term. Long-term though, that's, that's where like the real, you get the most bang for your buck. And like when I'm thinking about long-term, it's about building your credit score and then using your credit score to do cool things. So in the future, I definitely want to buy property and own real estate, whether it's like a, a house for myself or, or maybe it's a, a multifamily unit or, or maybe it's whatever, some some kind of real estate, you know, like it's it's a, mm-hmm. it, it's something that I want to do with my life. And so when you have a, a higher credit score, you get a lower interest rate on your loans. And the average American pays about $280,000 in mortgage interest throughout their life, which is a crazy number. Like most people here, 200, that's over a quarter million dollars that you're paying just to the bank, just for the privilege of borrowing money to buy a piece of property, which is probably going to be your primary residence. So that's that's absolutely mind boggling. And so having a higher credit score will lower your interest rate and, and dramatically lower that $280,000 is something that, that might sound a lot more reasonable. So that's that's kind of the big benefit that I see. And that's how building your credit early on can save you like over a hundred grand throughout the course of your life, which is crazy, you know, like a hundred grand, that's a lot of money for a lot of people. So if you can, if you could really establish that credit early on, that's that's where you're gonna see the most bang for your buck, especially if you do wanna buy real estate or borrow money from people. Like like having a high credit score is a very important thing. And so if you can start that early on, because a lot of a lot of having a good credit score is starting early on and just like having a solid history for years and years and years. And so I mean the earlier you start, the earlier you get that history built up. So that's that's the main thing that that I would say. And like I, I think most people would do well to just sign up for a very uh, small credit card, you know, just apply for one from your local credit union, your local bank, whatever, put like your groceries on it every single month, pay it off in full and just start building up that credit score, you know, because over time it's going to be very useful to you, even if you don't really need it right now. And and you're going to thank yourself for it probably in the long run. But if you're getting into debt, then that I would say, get rid of the credit card, chop it up, get rid of it and and just don't even mess with it. Yeah, exactly. So so this is great because it touches on, you know, the the purpose of credit in the first place. And, you know, we, we opined earlier about the uh, about fiat currency and 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 deficit. Um, so you raise a lot of a lot of good points there. And my personal interpretation of of credit and you know even the even the deficit, which we joked about earlier, is that it's all a trust based system. Is the premium is I know I'm going to pay this off, but I I want it, or in some people's cases they need it sooner. And that's how I've always managed to like to make peace with with fiat currency and the way it spends because fiat currency is. Well, it's just as like a, it's an energy-based thing. People put an energy into the economy, and it motivates people to continue. Bitcoin is the same thing. People can check out my Bitcoin episode from earlier. And so, the the federal government, and it's not just the U.S. By the way, any fiat-backed currency does this. Is it continues to take a loan out on its future productivity because it knows that it's going to be able to do that, and maybe their fingers are crossed behind their back that they're going to event some sort of quantum energy technology that will allow them to just kind of like surge past all of this. So in a, in a bizarre way, I'm just like, you know what, just write out the debt. I don't care anymore. Just, just do it. Um, but me, I'm, I'm pro credit cards. I, I, I signed up for my first credit card because I wanted to subscribe to World of Warcraft. No other way to, <laughs> no other way to get on that, that freaking game. Or, you know, I could have bought the time cards, but it's okay. I just wanted to, I just wanted to get the credit card. And yeah, and I, and I've been using it ever since. And, and I have a points-based system. Uh, I put all my transactions onto the one card. I get my points. And then I'm accumu- I'm, I'm, I'm building up a credit for uh, for Great Wolf Lodge, which for those of you who don't know is a, is, a, is a getaway slash water park just to go on like a vacation because I love water parks. Um, but I am blown away at how much return you got out of your credit card in order to, to travel because travel, travel ain't cheap. Um, so like what was the transactional history? Like uh, did, you, did you buy a tank? Like how did you manage to... <laughs> 
<laughs> to afford that based on what I would assume is a fairly responsible uh, spending pattern of yours. Yeah. So no heavy machinery required. Um, okay. Really just my everyday spending. Anyway, just, yeah. <laughs> Maybe just for fun. Yeah. But yeah, so, so basically my how I use credit cards is – at the moment, I think I have about 12, maybe 13. Going to be applying for another one either later today or tomorrow. And so essentially my view with credit cards is I'm putting my everyday spending on them. And for a time, about a year, I was running a business that had a fair number of expenses. So I could funnel a lot of those expenses onto credit cards, which is great because it's more points. Um, but even without doing that, I, I still would have accumulated at least like five grand in free travel. And so that's mostly because of the cards that I choose to apply for. So my whole... MO with credit cards is so so most good credit cards are going to have something called a sign up bonus where basically if you spend a certain amount of money in the first 90 days they're going to give you a whole big old bag full of points and so if you can maximize on those that's where the most bang for your buck is going to be because other than that it's like you're getting 2% here and 3% there and like that that adds up over time but like that's nothing compared to like getting a, a huge batch of like 50,000 points which is worth like 500 bucks potentially so that's that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And so what I'll do is I'll scope out different credit cards. I'll figure out, okay, on an average month, how much am I spending, okay? And, and say it's, for for example, like say it's 1000 bucks. okay? So say in the average month, I'm spending 1000 bucks. I'm going to look for credit cards with sign-up bonuses of $3,000 in 90 days or lower because those ones I know I can meet with my normal spending. And so I'll find these credit cards. I'll meet the sign-up bonuses. I'll get the bonus, and then I'll get the next one, and then I'll get the next one, and then I'll get the next one. And so I'm just mm -hmm. continuously getting these sign-up bonuses and not having to change my spending. And maybe sometimes I know I'll have a, a big expense coming up and that I can get a, a, a one with a higher sign-up bonus because I know that, oh, I'll just loop in that uh, $1,000 expense that I need to buy, whatever, into this month, and then I'll go for like a $4,000 one. So like that's that's my strategy. That's my MO. And really once, once I get the sign up bonus, like I don't even have to use the thing anymore. You know, I can just put it in my, in my sock drawer. I've got like a collection of these credit mm -hmm. cards at this point that I no longer use because the, the benefit was in the sign up bonus. And so I'll either just like hold on to it. If there's no annual fee, most of the cards that I have don't have an annual fee. If it does have an annual fee, something that not a lot of people know is that you can actually downgrade that card to a free card in most cases. So most cards kind of exist on this continuum of like, uh, no fee card and like medium and then like high. And so you can kind of upgrade and downgrade throughout these, these tiers with, with, if you're working with a big bank, like us bank or chase or American express, they've got cards all along these tiers. And so if you have a card that has a fee, you got the sign a bonus, you no longer want the card. You can call them up and then downgrade that card to a free card and then just hold on to it. Because when you cancel a credit card, that's actually really bad for your credit score. So right. you want to make sure that you just hold on to these things long-term, even if you don't use them, they're still working hard for you to build your credit score. So that's my MO. And, and that's how you can kind of accumulate a lot of points fairly quickly without having to spend uh, bazillions of dollars on, on credit cards. Okay. So just one, one thing that I wanted to address about that is there really isn't it, it, canceling it. Yeah. I can see that being bad for your credit. Downgrading it makes sense. In fact, that's what I did. Cause I, I had a gold uh, credit card oh. uh, and, it, and it did give me a sign up bonus, which uh, booked my first night at Great Wolf Lodge. And then I switched it down to a silver, which is no monthly fees. And that's what I do all my transactions on. And so holding on to all these cards but not seeing any activity on it, there's no effect there on your on your credit score, even if you're no, not using it. No, no. So it's it's all positive effect actually, because when you have a credit card that you don't put a payment on for a month, the bank is still reporting to the credit bureaus an on-time payment and zero percent utilization on the card, which are both going to positively impact your score. So even just hold on to, holding on to something with no spend is going to positively impact you. The only thing you'll have to watch out for is sometimes credit card companies will go through and they'll just kind of be like, okay, who hasn't been using their card in a long time? And they'll just cancel these things. Mm -hmm. Usually they're going to send you a heads up before they do that. They'll send you something in the mail. They'll be like, hey, haven't used this card in a while. Do you still want it? Or should we just cancel it? But I generally recommend like at least once a year, just like buy a stick of gum or a pack of gum or whatever mm -hmm. on, on credit cards that you, that you want to keep around. Because if, if the bank ju does just shut them down, um, that's going to be bad because it's basically it, it getting canceled. And so that's going to be bad for your score. But as long as you just have this thing, you, you may buy something once a year on it, it's it's going to positively impact your score overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can see maybe if I just put my Quip subscription onto like one card just so that it's, it's 20 bucks a month. It's just going and I'm, I transfer my my money from my checking into my, uh, into my savings or into my credit card anyways. Cool. Well, that, that's a lot of really good stuff so far. Uh, Josh, you're welcome. So the, the next one that I want to ask you about too is, um, is retirement and Roth IRA. Now I live in Canada and this is a global audience. So I don't think I have access to this specific service of Roth IRA. Um, but I still want to know about it. And like, what's the breakdown for people around the world? So they know what they can look for in their respective States. 
So, so yeah, so Roth IRAs, big, big deal, especially for people in the US. If you're international, there's going to be different options available to you. But but yeah, it's going to be probably something similar depending on, on what country you're in. I know in Canada, um, I think you guys have got like TFSAs and RRSPs. I think those are like kind of the equivalents to Roth IRAs. But essentially a Roth IRA is a type of retirement account where you can get tax benefits for saving for retirement because the government, at least in the US, doesn't really want to foot your retirement bill. You know, they've got social security, who knows where that's going to be. But in the grand scheme of things, like they don't want to be responsible for paying for your life from age 60 to age death. So they want <laughs> you to be responsible for, for, for doing that. And so what they're going to do is they're going to say, hey, if you do this for us, we're going to give you some tax benefits and not Uncle Sam is not going to take as much of, of your money in the form of taxes. So basically how this thing works is, there, so there's two kinds of, of IRAs, basically. There's a, a Roth IRA and a, a traditional IRA. And the, the difference here is when the money is taxed, because they're still going to be taxed, but not as much. So with a, a Roth IRA, what's going to happen here is you're going to get money from your job and you're going to pay taxes on that. Um, your employer is just going to take the taxes out and then you're going to pay taxes every year, you know, normal taxes. But then you're going to take that money that you already paid taxes on. You're going to put that in the Roth IRA. You're going to take that money that's now in this account. You're going to invest it into things like stocks or mutual funds or whatever. You're going to buy this stuff in this account. And then your money is hopefully going to grow over time to the point where you retire and say you've invested um, $100,000 in this account over the course of your working career. It's grown to a million. And now you've got $900,000 of gains over the past four years. And normally $900,000 worth of gains, that'll be taxed anywhere from 15 to 20%, which is going to be anywhere from like 150 grand to like 200 grand. So that's, that's a lot of money in taxes, you know, like you get to retirement, you think you've got a million bucks, but in reality, you've only got 800,000, which again, 800,000 still seems like a lot of money, but it's, it's not quite as much as a million. So with a Roth IRA, you're going to have that a million at retirement and you're going to pay zero taxes on it. Okay. So there's no tax. You're taking away that 150 grand, 200 grand in taxes and you're paying nothing. Okay. But that's only if you leave the money in the account until you retire. And mm -hmm. in the US, they set the retirement age at 59 and a half for who knows why. But once you turn 59 and a half, then you basically have access to this money. And there's there's also some additional ways that you can get access to it, whether you uh, become disabled, you'll have access to the money, or, or there's a couple other ways to qualify for this. But a really important thing to keep in mind with the Roth IRA, big misconception a lot of people have, is that once you put money into the account, it's locked away. And that's not the case. Okay, you put money into the account, you can always take back the money that you put in. So if you put in uh, $1,000 and it grows to $2,000, you can take that first $1,000 back whenever you want. If you try to dip into the second $1,000, that's when you're going to start getting hit with taxes and penalties. Okay, so you really don't want to mm -hmm. do that. But in an emergency, if you do have to take money out of this thing, you can absolutely do so tax and penalty free if you're only taking out what you put in. So that's that's Roth IRAs in a nutshell. And 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 really the reason that I am like so fired up about them is like there's there's so much potential for younger individuals to really set themselves up to have a productive and, and good financial life by just taking a couple small actions early on, and one of which is is setting up a Roth IRA and just funneling in like I mean, like 10% of your income would be amazed. Like if you could put 10% of your money away every single paycheck into this Roth IRA, like you're going to be so set by the time that, that you want to retire that you're not even going to have to worry about this stuff, you know? But it's it, it's really just like your, your, in, your ingredients for investing are time and money. And so mm -hmm. if you can maximize the amount of time that you're doing this, you don't have to put as much money away and you can live, you, you can spend a lot more of your money today if you put a little bit of it away for tomorrow. So, I mean, my whole philosophy around money is like maximize today while still thinking a little bit about tomorrow, but like still like today is the moment <laughs> and the moment is now. And like, you gotta, you gotta optimize for that. But at the same time, if you don't think at all about the future, then eventually that's going to catch up to you. Uh, so, so that's, I mean, that's, that's Roth IRAs in a nutshell. <laughs> that, that's great. So one thing that uh, that came up while I was uh, while I was listening to this is, um, and I just want to clarify because maybe I didn't under, un, didn't understand it. With putting money into the Roth IRA, is the bank using that money to make uh, specific investments? Like, are they investing into mm, stocks? Good point. Good point. So yeah, I didn't. I wasn't very clear about that. So essentially, okay. a Roth IRA is very similar to like a normal bank account, you know, where you're putting money into this account. But the difference is once you put money into the account, then you get to choose where to invest it. And so the bank's not investing this money. You are, you're getting to invest this money and decide where it goes. So you can use it to buy stocks of, of Amazon or Apple or just buy um, funds that contain the entire stock market. And like, you can do whatever you want with this money. You can even use it to buy real estate. You know, like you can buy anything you want with the money in this account, basically. 
And so you do that and then, and then it grows over time and then you're able to, to use that for retirement. Okay. If you're not really sure about this kind of thing, do you, I, I assume that advisors can, can guide yeah. people and help them figure out where they want to put it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always recommend talking to, to, to some kind of professional, but one thing that, that I'm learning more and more as I become certified and, and really like get deeper into the whole financial services field is there's a lot of people out there uh, trying to sell you a lot of things that you don't need. So mm-hmm. I would just be very, always, always ask a lot of questions. If you don't understand what somebody's telling you, ask them to clarify, like you are their client. It is, it is your money on the line. It's your uh, it's your right to know what this person is trying to get you to do. So uh, ask lots of questions and really just establish early on what this person's business model is. Are they a salesperson? Are they calling themselves an advisor? But in reality, they're a salesperson because if they are, you want to know that. It doesn't mean you you can't work with them, but it does mean like just know mm-hmm. where their incentives are at and how they're getting paid because that's probably going to influence how they make decisions. So there, there's a lot of stuff to keep in mind there. And in general, I mean, if, if you're working with someone who is a CFP or certified financial planner, that's like the top of the top and like might be a little bit biased because I just took that exam. But um, if you're working with somebody like they're legally obligated to work in your best interest, they are not le- like they cannot subvert your interest for their own. They are legally bound to put you ahead of them. And so that's, I mean, it's the only destination for, for financial planners and financial advisors that actually requires that level of care. So um, if you want to know that someone's putting you first, definitely CFP is the way to go. That's great. Uh, yeah, I just wrote that note down and then I underlined it a bunch of times <laughs> just just to make sure. All right. So th- this question popped up as I was um, as I was listening to your breakdown. And full disclosure, this is very tongue in cheek. But is there an age where it's too late, where like somebody's going to be screwed over and they're not going to be able to make this IRA work for them? It's a good question. And I would I would say that it's never too late. It, it just becomes more and more difficult the longer you wait. So like I said, like if you can put 10% of your income away in your 20s, like that's going to – like you just do 10% from your 20s till like 60 or whenever you want to retire and like you'll be good. Roughly. Like I'm not <laughs> – this is not financial advice. Like I'm not saying like that's 100% guaranteed but like roughly. But if you start – 10 years later, say, you're probably going to have to save a little bit more every single year. If you start 10 years later, you're going to have to save a lot more. If you if you don't start till you're 40, like that's when you're really going to have a rough time. You're going to have to save a lot of money every single year. You're going to have to really cut back on your lifestyle just in order to optimize for your future years. So like the earlier you start, like again, your ingredients are time and money. So the, the more time you put in, the less money you got to put in. But the longer you wait, the more you're probably going to have to, to invest and the more you're going to have to kind of change your current lifestyle and maybe reduce things. Uh, in order to meet those future obligations. Mm-hmm. Well, I have one stipulation to that, uh, and this is hypothetical, but ideally um, between 20s to 30s, 30s to 40s, is that somebody's earning power would increase because yeah. their skill set increases and they get higher uh, paying jobs. So, and f- for the record, like I said, like I have some money put away, but I have not put money into an, uh, in Canada. Yes, it is an RRSP. You're correct about that. I do have a TFSA though. And also, uh, not that not that I can uh, give any advice, but just in case people are curious, I use a TFSA as my emergency fund because I can pull it out right away, and I do generate interest on it. So just in case I get into any legal troubles or need a root canal, I just dip into my TFSA. It, it, it alleviates some, but not all, of my anxiety. But where where is the um, the trade off between somebody in their thirties who? hypothetically, <clears throat> counting myself, can actually earn more money than they were earning in their 20s anyways. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point. Like, yeah, hopefully over time your income is is going up. But in the grand scheme of things, like if you can just – I mean, there's this whole like saying that you should like pay yourself first. And I think there's there's a lot of truth to that in, in that if you can just kind of like skim this amount off the top before you even like look at it, like set up like auto deposits to your – I don't even remember what it's called at this point, RRSP or something. Um, yeah, <laughs> RRSP. Yeah. You can just like, like set up auto deposits to just skim off the top, go right in there. Like that's uh, – as as your income grows, like those deposits will get bigger and your income's still going up but but you're still saving for retirement. So like that's – I mean that's kind of the, the, the mentality that I fall into where it's just like if you can set this thing up to go automatic, you don't have to worry about it um, and it's just going to like grow with you. That's, I mean, that's where I would like to be, but it does depend on everyone's situation. You know, like some people are going to be fine waiting until they're, they're in their thirties to get started and, and just like save a little bit more, you know, but, but some people would prefer to get, to get a head start on that. So it, it really comes down to personal preference. You know, like there's not one, one size fits all thing. It does. It does. And, and there's, and there's personal situations too. And there's also, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the hierarchy of motivation because uh, I think a lot of people will 
knowing that, you know, when their parents pass on, uh, knock on wood, they will have a house access to them. So wealth does tend to accumulate in family structures as well. So not, I mean, not everybody is, is so inclined to do that. I am uh, because I, I want to make my own way. But like you say, not everybody, everybody has different yeah, priorities, no, totally different true. responsibilities. Yeah. All right. So this next one is going to be for our, for our dropshippers. Uh, the appeal of dropshipping is evident. We don't need to go over it uh, each time. But for people interested in dropshipping, there are other revenue streams um, that you've talked about prior. Um, bearing in mind that the main appeal of dropshipping is it's low cost and it's uh, low investment because they don't have to buy it themselves. They don't have to get in a warehouse or anything like that. Can you think of any or can you recommend any um, any revenue streams or alternative uh, income sources that uh, our audience can look into? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And so for me, my mind kind of goes to two places just kind of based on my past experience with making money on the internet. And so the first of which is to develop some kind of content that you're putting out at a consistent basis, whether it could be about drop shipping, that'd be very easy. You just kind of like take videos of what you're doing and put them on the internet or record a podcast or make Instagram posts or TikToks or whatever. Like that's, that's round number one. And so that can, I mean, once you have a social presence established, like you can monetize that in so many different ways from affiliate marketing to sponsorships to, to any number of things, you know, you can do with this, with this attention once you have it. So that's, I mean, that's route number one, and I'm sure everybody knows about that. They they thought about that, so I would say that's that's mm -hmm. a good place to start first. But then the the second place that I would think about going is in in creating some kind of um, virtual kind of agency to to supplement what you do what you're doing. And basically, by that, I'm not talking like running Facebook ads for local businesses because I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times. You've seen a million Facebook ads about that. So like, I'm not talking about that at all. But what I'm talking about is kind of putting together a team of people that can perform some kind of a task that is valuable. So for me, I was running this, this company for about two years and about one year, and we were producing podcasts for people. And so I built this agency and basically had hired a bunch of podcast editors. And then I was basically being the, the connection point between the podcast editors and the podcasters who needed their shows edited. So basically on my end, what I was responsible for was putting this website together, getting people in the door, and then managing this entire team. And so if you can find something that people are in need of, in, in this case, it was podcast editing, but it could be anything. It's, it's, it's not all that difficult to put together a team of people. And, and for me, I think like arbitraging this like across the world is like a really smart way to go because there's like a lot of very skilled talent in countries where the dollar goes a lot further. So most of our people were hired mm -hmm. from the Philippines. And so we had this team of really skilled people in the Philippines and we were basically connecting them with, with podcasters that needed their shows edited. So if you can find some kind of way to, whether it is um, in, in production work or whether it's in administrative work or whether it's in whatever, like if you can put together some kind of like agency type model like that, it can be really profitable and not require all that much um, upfront capital or just um, just time to, to get this thing up and running. Those are great. Um, and, I, and I looked, because I was uh, looking into uh, what you were doing, you did also mention too that your podcast uh, was also a source of revenue. So full disclosure, you know, our, our podcast here, I, me, I do kind of know the answers to these questions because I've, I've been in the podcast field, but I would love to hear uh, in specific how you've uh, maximized the returns on your podcast. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, my podcast was a lot more of a revenue stream for me about two years ago. So before the podcasting business, I was running like your, your run of the wheel, like Facebook ads agency, where I was working with small businesses and people and running Facebook ads for them and whatever. And so basically what, what I was using my podcast for was to generate leads for that company. And how I would do that was the main clients that I worked with weren't actually local businesses. They were online entrepreneurs um, who needed Facebook ads run for like their info products or just to, to sell stuff online. And so I would interview those people on my podcast. And then after the interview, I would have a quick conversation with them. I'd be like, hey, just so you know, this is what I do for, for money is I run Facebook ads for people like you. Um, and I would mm -hmm. have built about an hour's worth of rapport with them. I would know a bit about what their issues are with their business. And so I could really craft a, a kind of soft pitch to them on like, hey, here's what I do. Uh, do you have any interest? And if they said no, I could ask them if they knew anybody who might. And so that was really how I was mainly monetizing my podcast was just by interviewing the people that I wanted to work with and then doing business with them. And so, so that worked for a while. And then after I kind of got out of that business, cause I didn't really like it that much. I, I wasn't really monetizing my show for a while, but now I'll, I'll do some sponsorships on there from time to time, which is pretty straightforward. I'm sure people have listened to podcasts. They've heard podcast sponsorships, mm -hmm. but uh, now, now I'll do that. And like, uh, podcast sponsorships aren't generally as lucrative as like sourcing leads for your own business because with your own business, you keep all the money. 
I mean, you can make a lot more money like with with one deal for the business that I was running. I, it was like multiple thousands of dollars. So like that's that's a lot more profitable than than making maybe a couple hundred bucks per podcast episode by running an ad for whatever company on it. So in the grand scheme of things, like there's a lot of ways to do it, but if you can find a way to use it to generate leads or to sell products that you yourself create, that's where you're going to get the most margin because there's nobody else involved and really it's it's just you and the consumer. So I look for ways you could do that, whether it's digital products, whether it is starting some kind of a business, um, but, but that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. That's some great insight. Uh, and you reminded me that I also have to let our listeners know, uh, have you guys heard of Raid Shadow Legends? It's this great mobile game. <laughs> Um, actually it's, I, I, again, uh, because I love being uh, transparent, we actually have like a, we're going to, I'm going to have a soft pitch for you when, uh, when our recording is up, just like, you know, uh, to interface with yeah. the beautify and like, you know, building a further relationship with it. So what, what, uh, what Apple is saying here, we, d- we definitely do. So <laughs> I, I, to- I totally back up that, um, that, it- and then sponsors, uh, feel free to reach out to us. <laughs> the door is wide open. So we're at, I, I, I got to tell you, this episode has been flying by. We're already like 40, 49 minutes in, not factoring the, uh, the, the two minutes where, you know, yeah. spillage. Uh, but that's, that's, that's crazy. This is the, the, I'm, I'm amazed at how, uh, how, how well this has been flowing. Um, there's some important questions that I want to get your opinion on because you're so well-versed in this subject. And uh, for those of you wondering about like the sensitivity of these questions, I, I pre-screen them first just to make sure. Um, so remember earlier on in the episode, you're talking about how credit card companies, they win because people don't pay their their fee on time. Mm-hmm. And then they accumulate interest. And then we win because, you know, we pay it on time um, and we, ha- we have a deck of them. And somewhere in there, I wanted to do a joke about like, yeah, you, you activated my trap credit card, <laughs> but I'm just going to, I'm just going to skip that. Now. There is a concern about the overall economic health of of a country, and we'll talk about the USA because although I am in Canada, I I identify really as like a as an American more than anything. I I really do love your country, and uh, and I and I wish it well. But there is disparity in the haves and the have have nots. It's and in some some people would tell you know you you just got to get through high school and, and get a job and you'll and you'll start being on your way. But is it possible that our economic health is always going to depend on winners and losers, or can we move towards a fair and equitable system where we we do have like everybody can be financially healthy? And, and this is by the way, I'm just not advocating for outright uh, addition to social programs. I'm not taking a position one way or another. Um, but principally, countries they they tax people so that we can benefit everyone's welfare. But each country has different views on what you should be taxing and would you know what. Um, what those taxes should pay for. So uh, that's a lot. Obviously, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, but I do want to hear your overall opinions on what you would like to see in an economically healthy country. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot to unpack there. So I think yeah. the current state of the world has made some things pretty clear. And so a couple of those things that I think are, are worth talking about is like, so so during this whole pandemic, you know, there's there's been millions of people getting laid off. There's been tons of jobs getting lost. Um, but at the same time, the stock market's been flying, you know, like the st- uh, for the most part, stock market's going higher and higher and higher. And so, so mm-hmm. that has sent some kind of confusing indicators to people about just how the world works, you know? And so people are saying like, oh, well, well, the, like, like the economy is, is going great. Like the stock market is going up. Like what's the problem here? And, and the problem is that, that, that there's millions of people who have lost their jobs. So there, there's this big disconnect between like the everyday individual and like the performance of the stock market. And the performance of the stock market really doesn't impact the everyday individual all that much because when you look at the distribution of who actually owns stocks, about 70% of stocks are owned by the top 1% of society. So most of those gains that are being generated right now are being had by the very upper echelons of society. And so like the everyday person is not really sharing in those. And and the people on, on the news stations, the talking heads will tell you that, oh, well, it's benefiting everybody's pension plan and, and their retirement accounts. But in reality, like you look at 70% going to the top 1% and you're like, well, I mean, maybe my, my retirement account's going up a little bit, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't have a job right now. So I'm not too concerned about that. So I think that, that, that there really is a long ways to go in terms of just even just mentally realizing that the stock market is not really a very fair representation of how the country as a whole is doing. Uh, because I mean, yeah, looking at the country right now, it's like a lot of stuff's not going very well. And yet the stock market is, is mm-hmm. continuously going up. So that's 
I think that's that's a, a good first place to start. But in terms of like inequalities and and solving that via taxes, I mean, I I don't know. I try not to get too too political with uh, with the stuff that I talk about, um, just because I mean, I'm not the most well researched in in this space. But I think sure. I think in general. We, we we should be paying some kind of taxes. Like I'm not the whole like libertarian, like shut everything down. Like my money is my money. Like I, I think in general, it is it is good that we are paying some money to the government that is theoretically like elected by us to, to make decisions on our behalf. I think that's a good thing. And I think in general, like it, it works out all right. You know, it's, it's obviously not a perfect system, but I think it, it, it it works out decently for the most part that, that we're giving money to the government and they're they're allocating it in some way. But a lot of times that that allocation isn't exactly how we would like it, and a lot of times the the people who are actually paying these taxes um, aren't necessarily paying them in proportion how much money they're making. So I think there's definitely mm-hmm. a long ways to go to to get to a, a real equitable system. Do I think it's possible? I mean, maybe, but like the people at the top, I mean, the <laughs> people at the top are just going to keep spending money to figure out how they can pay less in taxes. So it's like uh, at a point, it becomes it becomes difficult to really envision what what a fully equitable system would look like. So I'm optimistic, but I, I don't I don't think that there there is really like a perfect system that we'll ever get to. Sure. Okay, well, I, I I do appreciate you weighing in, and I, and I'm gonna make uh, make two points. Um, the first one is in re- in regards to the stock market. Now, I'm not like pro one percent or anything like that, but what the disconnect that I would uh, that I would want to uh, try to clear up is the difference between money going into a vacuum where it really is just uh, hoarded and yeah. and it's not being reinvested and nothing is happening to it. That's what I ha- would have an issue with. Um, what I wouldn't have an issue with is a healthy stock market because you want to think that people are putting money into these investments to better society in some way, to again contribute to the net good. They're investing in companies, maybe they're investing in, in globally, maybe you know it's not investing into an American company, but investments, investing, it does have a history of, of of yielding a lot of positives. It's people believing in other people's ability to make money. And and we use the common language of profitability. So at least everybody is on the same page about it. So my my issue is the idea that money just like disappears from the economy and it only appears in somebody's uh, offshore bank account where it's just sitting there not doing anything. Yeah. That I have a serious problem with. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm um, totally with you. The second point that. that I Right on. Uh, the second one that I want to uh, want to raise is uh, my my lawyer. She she uh, she was telling me about this thing that was going on in in the law practice where they had to do this thing called a statement of principles, where they would have like I don't know like a chart on the back of their office about like what are the principles, and there's and there's pushback between this. And she said I probably would support the pushback because of my libertarian views, um, and my 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 theory is that my lawyer thinks I'm libertarian. I'm not going to fight her on it, but being being in Canada. There are there is a, a pretty clear difference between tax money being used for important programs like our military, police, courts, um, and you know healthcare. I'm not like anti-state healthcare. I think it's important that if I dial nine one one, I shouldn't have to like worry about a bill coming in or something like that. So there should be a, a, some uh, assistance from the state there. But at the same time, I also took my girlfriend swimming at a uh, at a state funded. A swimming pool and there was only like a two-hour window once a week where we were allowed to swim and it was packed because everybody got to use that two-hour window and it was free and well you know some people don't even really intend to go swimming they just want to use the free showers there was urine on the ground it was not a pleasant experience and i felt like it's i understand a lot of people depend on this because a lot of young kids are in school they use these programs and it probably benefits them but what it's also doing is that it is stifling the ability for the private market to offer something in in exchange i've reached out to hotels to see if i can just like pay to use their swimming pool and and they say no and so i do have an issue with the taxes being used on stuff that actually makes it harder for other businesses to operate yeah no i i agree i think that there there is a point where where you're crowding out private enterprise to to create solutions to problems that exist. And so, I mean, it's it's a tough balancing act, man. I don't really envy many of these politicians who are making these decisions on an everyday basis. You know, like I would not want to be in that position myself. And I, I realize there's a lot going on there that I'm not privy to, but uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's not a perfect system. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that could be improved. 
Um, but am I the person that's, that's going to go in, down to Capitol Hill and improve them? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's fair. Well, I, I hope people... Um, uh, I would take away a little bit of this and just uh, use it as an opportunity to think about their own views because, and and by the way, this is like a, a thing where, you know, you'll see like a celebrity weighing in on politics on Twitter or something like that. And you say, well, hey, you're an actor. Don't weigh in. No, 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 no. Everybody gets to weigh in because the last thing you want is a system where the only people talking are politicians. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, this one, this one is going to be for fun. So and then I'm going to give you the, uh, the the wrap-up question. So one thing that I did at the start of my 30s was to lay out a life plan. Uh, because us millennials, uh, I'm on like the, the first wave millennial, maybe second wave. And we have the luxury slash curse of possibly living to like 200 years old. And maybe we'll get blasted off into space. So it's important to f- have... A, a plan of like, what, what am I going to do in my 30s? What am I going to do in my 40s? What am I going to do in my 50s? And I, for my audience, I'm happy to share this because I want people to know about me. But in my 30s, I'm sticking to my medium producing because it's been going really well for me. In my 40s, I'm going into like my creative writing side. Uh, in 50s, I actually do want to get into public service. I do find it fascinating. And I'm not as much of a fan of the theater side, but I am a fan of the the actual tangible, like how, trying to help people in a, in a, in a net positive way. Uh, in my 60s, this is where I've kind of run out of ideas. My placeholder right now is to try to beat up all the bullies who uh, picked on me <laughs> in school. But again, that's a placeholder. I don't know if I'm committing to that. But I was wondering, at, you, at 21 years old, if you've done anything similar, if you have kind of like a vision for what you want to do when you hit 30, hit 40, hit 50, and then by 70, get blasted off into space. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, I'll tell you, short answer is, is no. Um, I am somebody who does not... I, I plan my next, I plan one day out pretty, pretty strictly, but um, okay. beyond one day, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a blur. So, I mean, for, for context, I moved to New York like two or three days ago with maybe like wow. two weeks of planning. Okay. Um, so like I, I really do value the flexibility that I have right now with not being tied down to many things at all. So, so for me, I, I very much prefer to just like be in the now and, and be present and just kind of uh, let that kind of guide where I want to go. And, and so I'm not looking to kind of lay out a, a roadmap for my life right now. I'm, I'm more so just really looking to learn more about myself, learn more about the world and where I can potentially fit into it and just kind of, just kind of ride that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I admire the, um, the laying out of, of the future, but um, I, yeah, I guess it's not, it's not, not really my style. That's fair. And when I was in my in my twenties, I I didn't do it either. Um, I think um, in our in the way our our expectations for age versus life milestones, again, those expectations can be more spread out. You know, once upon a time, people made it to thirty and they thought it was a miracle. So, I I would say that you know, my I would characterize my twenties as kind of like my teens round two. <laughs> Where I where I was still trying to figure things out and try to get get my place in the world, but uh, you know, t- ten years is a long way away, and I and and congratulations on everything you've pulled off so far. Thank you. So and another ten ten years with your momentum, I uh, I hope to see it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. So we're gonna we're gonna get you out of here. Uh, if you have any parting words of wisdom, now that you haven't supplied plenty already, but if there's anything else you want to leave with the audience, I give the floor to you once more, and also uh, let the audience know how they can sure. reach out to you. Because yeah, no, I, I think I think the main thing that I want to leave people with is just like take a couple breaths and just be present for a few moments. I I'm a big proponent of just like being in the moment. I think it's very easy to get caught up in, in life and plans and just like all this stuff that just gets you loaded for the future. So I think you can just take a couple moments and just like, like be for a bit. I mean, I think that that would be a good use of time. So that's what I got for that. And then in terms of following up, um, I guess just search for Apple Crider anywhere you want to. I'm pretty active on YouTube, been posting once a day for probably like a month or so. So um, check me out there. You can find my podcast, Young Smart Money. You can shoot me a DM on Instagram, uh, wherever wherever you want to. And then it's Apple and then Kreider is spelled like cider with an R in there. So C-R-I-D-E-R. And uh, yeah, hope to hear from you guys. All right, everybody. Well, uh, I hope you had uh, I hope you had a good time with this. Uh, I certainly did. Uh, Apple, once again, thank you for your time and for your knowledge. All right, listeners, we'll, we'll check in with you soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. 
Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.